0: The thing about corporate gifting too is that was something that we had always considered and thought about. And the surprise was just how quickly it came knocking at our door.
1: Hey, my name is Felix Tia and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn the most important thing to focus on to attract corporate buyers, what is the corporate gifting market and how to determine if you have a product that can serve that market, and why you should not focus on growth and what you should be obsessed with instead. Today we're joined by Sabina, Chelsea, and Jenny from BoxFox. BoxFox sells pre-curated gift boxes for every milestone or allows customers to build 100% custom gift using their build a BoxFox platform. It was started in 2014 and based at Hawthorne, California. Welcome guys.
2: Thank, Thank you. you, thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, so we were just talking off air about how in just four years, you took 5,000 in investments and built a $9 million in revenue business with $0 in outside capital. That's amazing. First of all, what was the let's say, let's say what was the most important thing you felt like you spent that first five thousand dollars on?
2: Yeah, thank you. This
3: is Chelsea, uh, CEO and co-founder here. I think the first uh, the bulk of that initial investment went towards our first round of inventory and the small kind of array of web and hosting fees and business license fees, but it was primarily inventory,
0: and really it was. This is Jenny jumping in. Um, also, the first batch of running our China boxes where we manufacture the first box
1: boxes. Got it. So, were you, so you were investing in, in uh, building up the inventory? Did you already have sales at that point? Like, this sounds like kind of pretty far along in the business. Like, you're spending, you have $5,000 that you guys spent the money on. But what was going on prior to even needing to buy the inventory?
3: Um, we, you know, we got, we came up with the idea for BoxBox in December of 2013 and we are working, you know, a couple nights a week on kind of building our business plan and deciding our vision and what we wanted to do. So for eight to 10 months leading up to really actually needing that money, we were just kind of setting the groundwork for the architecture of the back end of the business.
1: Got it. Yeah, I think that this is a similar situation a lot of entrepreneurs are in where they have some time, a few days a week to work on their business, whether it be because they have a, a day job or they're doing it, maybe they run another business and this is something that they're starting as well on the side. How do you kind of keep the momentum going when you're not like the way I'm sure your situation is different now where you can just be obsessed and just work on it? you know, full time, but when you are not doing that, you cannot dedicate that kind of time So, how do you keep things rolling along to make sure that you're not going to stall out at some point and that you're actually making real progress?
3: I think it's really important to set goals for yourself and really be strict with yourself. I mean, for us, there was absolutely no hesitation that this is something we wanted to launch. It was no hesitation that this was something we were really serious about. And we really committed ourselves to meeting two to four nights, really benchmarks and dates into place where we had to achieve certain things by. And it was really just putting our, putting our all in from the beginning.
2: Yeah, and um, this is Sabina jumping in. I think too, just kind of treating the business like it's an actual business before it's a business. So really kind of holding yourself accountable to launch dates, deadlines, anything that is really gonna make uh, you know, the concept feel as legitimate as, as possible from the onset. I think that really helped us.
1: Mm. What were your backgrounds? Did you either, did any of you guys have experience starting a business prior to this?
2: I think we were all entrepreneurial minded. Like we, you know, in college, Chelsea and Jenny had a spray tanning business. I was really involved in a number of different um, internship opportunities as well as student government. We did newspaper. Like we had a, a, an array of experiences. Um, Chelsea had a little bit of an e commerce background at Brandy Melville as well. So, Definitely entrepreneurial minded, always looking for a new opportunity. But I think the main thing is we all had kind of drive and hustle and a belief in this concept. So that that really more than experience, it was like what the perspective that we brought was.
1: Right, so that certainly covers the the kind of grit that's in, that's required to start a business, this entrepreneurial spirit, this ambition. Uh, I think the other kind of flip side to this, which is a potential curse for, for entrepreneurs, is that you get pulled in so many different directions. You see so many great ideas, and you can pursue any of them. It, they all seem like they could become something. Did you guys have this kind of uh, tugging, I guess, along the way? And, and like Why was it that this idea was the one that you all had no hesitation that it was what you all wanted to focus on rather than spend your time working on something else?
3: For us, you know, Jenny and I specifically, because I've known her since the beginning of college, always had, you know, different entrepreneurial ideas, different business ideas. Oh, we could do this. Oh, we could do that. This was the first time that it just felt like there was no way we couldn't do it. And it was really trusting our gut that this was kind of our next step in our path, which sounds really cheesy, but I always say like fate's real. And like, there's a reason Sabina didn't get the job in New York and ended up in the same (laughs) office as me when, and that we met and then all three of us met and we were able to launch box talk. It just felt like no obstacle could be too great to inhibit us from actually getting this off the ground. Like we were going to do this no matter what.
2: And I think it's really interesting, something that entrepreneurs who might have kind of a, an inkling of an idea, but not be sure about it, just really kind of think, you know, accepting that you have this initial idea and then sort of like, like leaving it up to chance a little bit in terms of like, we just kept having situations come up after we had this initial idea that like, there needs to be this service. Like we had friends getting engaged. We had friends having babies. We had friends, you know, getting promoted, all these different types of scenarios. And we kept saying, why isn't there a solution for this like elevated gifting uh, moment? And so it just kept kind of coming to us in different ways. And I think really great ideas will just continue to hit you over the head um, and remind you that you need to be pursuing it. And, And ones that we all have a million Ideas a day, but it's like the one that kind of keeps coming back to you is probably the one that keeps-
1: I, I like that. I like that, that, that idea where, or well, I like that, that, um, kind of thought process where if you have a book of ideas, you're saying, don't just try to, uh, look through them and like measure them from one to the other. and try to compare which one is the best idea, but just have kind of sit in the back of your mind and then pay attention to which one of these ideas uh, runs into the most opportunities that come up in your life, where you feel like, "Wow, this should become a reality."
0: Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. And we really we created Boxbox Box from a problem that we were facing ourselves every week, and so really, it was just a matter of this problem is here. How can we solve it? Let's jump into this.
1: Got it. So, what was the uh, vision early on when you all sat down and said, "Okay, let's think about what Box Box is going to be over the next, you know, f- I guess f- four or five years from now?"
2: Yeah, I mean, the initial vision, honestly put very simply, is we want to be the go-to for gifting, and that was always kind of, wh- however that was going to manifest itself, that is what we knew we wanted to be, and so that's, you know, five years in, it looks very different than we initially envisioned and we're so proud of because we've only expanded on that original vision. So we started out saying we want to do pre curated gift boxes around certain themes like uh, housewarming, um, new baby, birthday, all those different verticals. And then, um, you know, in June, after we launched in November, the following June, we launched build a box box, which allows you to pick and choose every product and make it 100% customized to the recipient. Um, and then about Three, four months after that, we launched our corporate gifting arm, BoxBox Box Concierge, our B2B side, um, because that was also a need on behalf of our clients. So just really, um, I think that the important lesson there is, yes, have a vision, have your plan, but always be open to new opportunities, whether you see kind of the market trending in a certain way or consumer demand or um, just, you know, new possibilities, like, like, mm-hmm. I think we've really expanded what that looks like and, and we're, uh, we're excited to see where it goes in the future too
1: how do you know if an opportunity is worth uh, pursuing that that maybe wasn't a part of your original vision like what is the kind of threshold or what was the filter that you run opportunities through today?
3: I think you know a lot of opportunities present themselves and now I feel like we're we're good at being discerning in the sense that, we know how much effort it takes, for example, to have a month-long retail pop-up, and you really have to weigh how much is this going to cut into the effort and the labor and the people and the energy that we need to go towards our larger vision and our larger goals uh, versus whatever sort of payoff that that potentially might have. You know, in that case, it's it's awareness, it's being able to speak to customers in person um, and different things like that. So it's really just a a very loose formula of is this moving us towards our vision in a productive way that isn't going to completely throw us off track? Um, Cause there's a lot of opportunities in the beginning that you just want to say yes to everything because you can, and they're coming your way, but then you get to a certain point where you're like, well, that's not helping me. That's really helping the person who's coming to
0: me and, and being able to identify the difference and say no. And we really, like Chelsea said, we were, Saying yes to absolutely everything in the beginning, and so over time we're strengthening that muscle in terms of making decisions and what's going to help us move the company forward. And so, only by saying yes to everything and then learning as we went did we strengthen our intuition.
1: Right. So it's kind of you have to like learn this lesson the hard way, where you put into you you spread yourself too thin, and you realize that. That as an as an early entrepreneur, you think everything will happen twice as fast and cost, and uh, be half the cost. But then you realize through the through the, through the years that everything, the, the reality of, of the cost of resources and capital and effort that you have put into something. So now you are uh, you have a much stronger filter to determine if something is going to be worth the time, because you know the actual cost. Uh, And the potential payoff. Can you give an example of something that maybe you would have said yes to early on that now, because of the years of experience, you guys would say no to?
0: Yeah,
3: I think a lot of people have approached us for trade partnerships. Um, And in the beginning, we might have bent over backwards to accommodate that, not really taking into account the costs and fees that go beyond the actual product themselves in terms of service and labor um, and marketing. And in the beginning, we would have said we've said yes to a lot of those. And now I'm really, really, really strict with what we allow to be um, kind of a partnership there.
2: Yeah. And I think that goes for, you know, marketing partnerships as well. And um, really thinking about the BoxBox Box brand whenever we partner with another brand, whether that's products that were carrying, um, you know, marketing partnerships, like I said, or what Chelsea was referring to more of the trade uh, with other brands.
0: And to, to give a really granular example too, in the beginning, we were doing a lot in the bridal space. We were working with a lot of brides for their Be My Bridesmaid gifts. And I was working with someone who was getting married in Louisiana and she wanted to have a magnolia motif. And so we agreed that we would incorporate handmade paper magnolia flowers in her boxes. And so that meant um, working with one of our employees and myself to, to make these paper flowers for this bride. And it was beautiful. We had the time then, but in the end, we weren't really going to be making money off of that. And so just learning and figuring out when to say yes and no to certain things and how to still offer, so much personalization to our brides, to all of our customers, while still letting us streamline our operations and our business.
1: Got it. So it sounds like a lot of getting creative these days where you want to only focus on things that can scale but then also still deliver on the original promise of the, the product and in your case the customization the personalization that comes with these boxes uh, so when you are when you when you think back about that very first time where you, sat, you all sat down to think up the vision it sounded like evolutions kind of happened since then are there certain things that had can you point out to certain things that might have happened or opportunities that you might have pursued that you had no idea you got would have pursued from the beginning?
3: I think, I mean, when we first started, we didn't even understand what it would mean to tap into corporate gifting. And I think that it became very clear very quickly that that was going to be a significant, if not dominant, part of our business and how we were going to scale to, you know, 10 million plus level um, of a company and really. Diving into the data and the analytics and the learnings and the research of what that industry meant and how we can apply our kind of philosophy from our B2C and consumer facing side to that corporate scale.
1: So, did this opportunity, this corporate gifting opportunity, did that kind of just like come right up into your face or? Did you have to put the effort into try to identify new markets like how fleeting are these opportunities that might that came up for you and then might come up for other entrepreneurs how do you know if you should be hunting down opportunities versus like just looking for them more passively
2: Yeah I mean we we were really fortunate in that we had a lot of corporate clients right from the get go just reach out to us um, and I think that just proves the use case beyond the consumer side really showing that there is a market for elevated, personal, meaningful, well-presented corporate gifts. Um, you know, the clients are seeking that out and it just didn't really exist. Um, so, so we, we were lucky. And I think, um, again, kind of staying, staying the course, but being flexible is probably the best way any opportunity is going to come to you as an entrepreneur. Like you can't always plan for things, but you can definitely, make sure you're kind of positioning yourself to be open to things. And I think that's something we did really well.
0: And the, the thing about corporate gifting, too, is that was something that we had always considered and thought about. And the surprise was just how quickly it came knocking at our door.
1: So these were cl- corporate clients, they were already using your products, uh, even though you weren't necessarily marketing to them at the beginning?
2: Yeah, I think they were getting creative with, you know, just going on our site, trying to build sort of professional looking gifts. We obviously have such a wide variety, so they were able to accomplish that. But then we had them asking for more custom solutions, whether that was actual sourced products specific for them or branding, um, things like that. So just, um, you know, corporate clients that wanted a little bit more of a tailored approach.
1: Got it. So between the time that you recognized this opportunity... What did you What did you guys put in place? How quickly were you able just to to start kind of shifting the gear, shifting the resources to service this new customer base that you believe would take you to the next level?
0: That that first Christmas in 2015, that was the big uh, year for corporate, and we really realized. Okay, I was working full time at that point still. Sabina was working full time. I was able to take a little bit of time off during the holidays to help support Chelsea and the one or two employees and interns that we had. Um, but really, that following quarter, that spring, I came full time to Fox Box, and then Sabina followed shortly afterwards. And we realized, okay, you know, we really do need to put more bandwidth here on the corporate side. And that's going to mean, you know, not just help with fulfillment and packing boxes that's going to take a lot more strategy, a lot more operations and more help from the three of us co-founders.
1: Got it. So, in the corporate gifting, what what do you find that the clients, what do they they typically care about when it comes to purchasing from from a uh, products from you guys?
2: I think they're really looking for um, kind of a nice balance of creativity and kind of beautiful aesthetically driven products with functional products that actually meet their business objectives. So that is a line that we kind of have perfected, I would say. And our, that's really our approach. So yeah, I mean, that that's really what, what the ask is. Mm.
1: Are there certain challenges that you find are more prevalent or, or just ex- exist in the corporate gifting market that just don't exist or are not as prevalent in the more B2C market?
2: I think the the biggest challenge is trying to bring personality to corporate gifting. Ultimately, I think, you know, it's just been so conditioned for so many corporate clients to gift swag or just gift kind of a little bit more of the, you know, your traditional like branded coasters and and mug. And it's like, how do we take that to a more elevated place while still making sure that this gif feels like it's coming from x company
1: so did you have to take a step back and almost reevaluate the entire supply chain your vendors and all that like how much effort was required to service this new customer base
2: it definitely took a lot of kind of our own research of different types of vendors whether it's customization vendors or just different suppliers so there was a little bit of of supply chain kind of Uh, research. But, you know, at the same time, I think it goes back to just being flexible and adaptable. We figured it out quickly. We kind of made an action plan and then went for it. Um, I think there's a little bit of of like, a you know, just we we had that kind of um, drive to figure it out. and, And we did so.
1: Mm-hmm. What features would you look for in a business or a, a product to determine if they have a business or a product that can thrive in the same in the in the corporate gifting market?
0: So I think really it's more just about like Sabina said about what the corporate ask is. So to break down what that might be, um, I love to use the example of early on, we did a conference for Lululemon that was in Palm Springs in the desert. And so they were doing like a yoga mindfulness retreat and they wanted to do, you know, to create a box that was mindfulness wellness nuanced with also incorporating some of the local Palm Springs um, vibe. And so then from there, our sales team would work with a bunch of different products and vendors, some that we carry and some that might be a little bit more localized, to curate something that would um, respond and answer their ask.
1: Got it. This, so it sounds like a, a much longer sales cycle and then also uh procurement cycle when it comes to the corporate clients how long are we talking about between the time that you're beginning to start to work with a a new client and how long does it take i guess how much preparation does it take to 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 provide them with that very first kind of level of service that you guys are giving to them
2: yeah, I mean, we actually have perfected kind of our our process, and it, it's not too long of a lead time. We usually are able to turn around a proposal within five business days or less. Um, and then, in terms of actually shipping out a gifting suite, we say between two to four weeks, uh, depending on quantity and kind of what else we have in the pipeline. But um, we were very kind of quick um, as a company, and I think that's something we really pride ourselves on is a high level of service and attention to detail, but also that expediency.
1: So is this type type of a client, are they, I heard you say were word proposal, are they like RFP based where they're sending a bunch of RFPs to different uh, companies?
2: Um, I would say it's, it's a mix. Sometimes they just know they want to work with us and it's that straightforward because we really do offer something kind of niche. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, there's definitely other companies you know, they have other options. So I'm sure there is, there's, there's a balance of, of both.
1: Hey, real quick. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now let's get back to the interview. Great. So when you are, when you are sitting down to, to, uh, set up the, the the system and you mentioned that you guys have really refined it can you talk to us about that like what was the process to refining the entire fulfillment process that you guys have today like what was it like the very beginning and what kind of change have you made along the way to to improve that
0: yeah um i mean i think it's something that just like our business we were constantly evolving and so i'm i'm our chief operations officer um and that meant just in the beginning, me rearranging shelves in our apartment and trying to create more space for inventory. And then eventually we moved into our first warehouse. And now we're luckily in our third, much bigger space, which has given us a lot more opportunity to rearrange and perfect systems um, for the flow that we need to. But it was really just about how are we going to um, be able to create enough space for us to create these beautiful boxes and then also to be able to quickly clean it all up to get every all the boxes out um, in time for the post office and I don't know with a lot of change and a lot of rearranging we just made it work.
1: Mm -hmm. When you launched did you launch with both the pre-curated gift boxes and the custom customization or just one or the other?
0: We originally launched with just six Uh, pre-curated boxes. Our original vision was to have our build a box box platform, but that was going to take a little bit more capital um, to hire a developer to be able to create that. So we used our first, you know, six to eight months of sales from our pre-curated gifts to help fund our Build-A-BoxBox box platform.
1: Mm-hmm. Are the customers different when it comes to more like the consumer-based, consumer, based, uh, co- consumer uh, B2C customers? Are they different types of customers that would buy a pre-curated box versus customizing their own?
3: You know, it, it's a different type of customer sometimes, and it's sometimes just driven by a different use case. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen, like, for example, pre-curated boxes are purchased in higher percentages during busier, uh, gift driven seasonal spikes. So with Christmas, you've got a customer who's got to, you know, dole out 40 plus gifts across different levels of relationships, and you're going to see them purchasing more pre-packed and trusting kind of our expertly pre-curated process. um, when there's more time, um, to be spent, you know, then they kind of lean more on the customizable build a box box platform. It's really driven, I think, by use case.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: our our build uh, to pre ratio is normally 80-20. But during our peak holiday seasons of, you know, end of year, Christmas, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, where we're also launching certain pre-packed so- collections, then that'll skew all the way up to 40% pre-packed, 60% built.
1: Got it. How are the corporate customers and consumer customers finding out about you for the first time? And is that, is it different between the two?
3: Between corporate and b 2 b B2C, and and B2C. How B2C
1: exactly.
0: Yeah. I
3: think our B2C serves as a discovery platform for our corporate in a way, in the sense that If somebody, you know, works at Twitter and they're using us for their personal reasons and then they see something about our corporate offerings, they're going to think about that. It's going to be top of mind when they're approached at work with a specific project.
0: Um, Or all of a sudden you get something in the mail, a birthday gift, and you work at Visa and then you realize, oh my gosh, this is so cute. I wonder if we could create something, you know, for my sales team. And then all of a sudden then... You're the recipient of a box. Now you want to send a box. There's a little bit of virality in both B2B and B2C. And B2B, obviously, because it's a larger scale, there's a little bit more there.
1: Got it. So your consumers are feeding the corporate gifting pipeline. So if you just focus on serving the consumers, you can all of a sudden build a new customer base if that type of product makes sense in the corporate gifting uh, use case.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think the larger lesson there for any entrepreneur is just really always putting your best foot forward and putting the best product you can out there because you never know kind of like how a use case is going to evolve. Um, so we're obviously always, you know, having attention to detail, keeping things very personal and elevated, making our site really clear and easy to use. Those, those things have always made us kind of an attractive option no matter what the use case is.
1: Got it. So what would you say is the most effective marketing strategy these days to get these consumers to try the product for the first time?
3: I think for us, you know, we really relied on word of mouth in the beginning and aggressively reaching out to every single person we'd ever met in our entire lives to kind of kickstart and get things going. Um, For us, I think now we employ a bunch of different things to kind of get people through the door Uh, For the first time, and in what I like to pride ourselves is a non desperate way. I mean, we offer, you know, free shipping deals or 10% off deals for signing up for our emails and things like that. But really, our focus this year is on turning those one time buyers into two plus time buyers. So a lot of investment is going into all the people who have already purchased from us one time. Um, And we are really excited because retention is such a big priority to us. We are launching our first ever loyalty program in the next couple of weeks and we think it's pretty
1: great so you start off by reaching out to to your network what was that like like what were you asking because i think that this is also a a sticking point for a lot of entrepreneurs where they don't have any customers yet but of course they have friends and family a network that they can tap but they don't know what is it is it it possible to go about it gracefully like what are you doing exactly when you go out to your network to 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 garner business essentially for, for for something you've created
3: I think for us, we got to really um, hide under the veil of the fact that we were 22 when we launched. So we you know, very earnestly and very genuinely emailed everyone we had ever met like, hey, we're doing things differently. We didn't go down the same socially accepted path as you or the rest of our peers to law school and business school or consulting firms. We are going to sidestep that and we are launching this business that doesn't previously exist. And we think that we have great taste and great know-how and great work ethic. So we think you should try it out and support us. And that really worked in the beginning for us. I mean, we launched right before Christmas of 2014 and to us for being an apartment-based three people business did pretty well for ourselves and can have been continuing to grow from there. Um, you know, in my past experience at Brandy Melville, I, I really learned what you could do with word of mouth and just, coming to the altar of marketing a little bit more genuinely and earnestly and not so growth obsessed. I think we're, we're focused on offering a product and a service that people really need. And we hone in on, you know, the data and the right types of products and streamlining the services and shortening the shipping time and making sure that it's really a wonderful experience for our customers and their recipients. And that's all we can do. And You know, I think that there's all this growth hacking and all this overcompensation for a a lot of companies, but it's because I think
2: their product is subpar. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Mm, That's a good, good point. So you're saying like rather than be so obsessed with the top or the bottom line, if you just focus on serving your customers and use, I think you mentioned using data to determine what direction to go in to serve those customers, the rest will fall into place.
3: Yeah. And I think, you know, we're self-funded, so we didn't have to answer to a giant amount of money that needed to be returned, where I feel like a lot of companies have to meet certain metrics. We, you know, for the first two years tripled and last year doubled and plan on doubling plus again this year. We're building a company. We're growing at our own pace. We're bettering and bettering and bettering our products and our offerings. And that's all we can do.
1: Do you remember what it was like, or do you remember the time where you all of a sudden were getting sales more from strangers than than your own network? And what do you think made that switch switch that made that switch happen?
3: I don't know what made that switch happen. I think some I think some customers in that in that specific time frame are the types of people who were looking for something different and were looking for something that was what we were offering, which was a new way, a new approach to gifting in a more purposeful, personalized way. And I think, you know, we're able, it was 2014, 2015. So I think they were able to find us a little bit easier. The saturation across Pinterest and Instagram and Twitter wasn't as overwhelming as it is now. And so thank God for those people um, because I think that's what kicked off a lot of our growth back then. But yeah, I mean, I definitely remember I would be home alone waiting for Sabina and Jenny to come home from their job, full-time job, and like packing up the 10 orders a day or whatever that we'd be getting. It would just be like such a labor of love. And I'd carry three at a time down the apartment stairs to the trunk of my car and drive to the best post office and walk in taking like three trips because I'm weak.
2: And
0: (laughs) and it was a a special time. But yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, we're very fortunate that it was very early on, but there were the days where we're like, all right, you know, we got 10 orders every day this week. And we just tried to keep fueling that momentum. And then all of a sudden it was 20 and then it was a hundred and then it was 400.
1: Hey, did you ever, so it sounds like obviously in the big picture, things kept on trending upwards. Were there ever days, weeks or months where things just trickled out to nothing or you went, you felt like things went backwards and how did you guys react to that? If it happened?
3: I don't feel like we've ever felt it go backwards. I mean, knock on wood, I don't I think, think
0: it's ever felt like that. There was, there was only one case and that was um during the election um it was a little bit of a weird time but it no, wasn't I mean.
3: backwards i mean i think that there's certain life or global events that affect e-commerce sales for everybody and i remember mm-hmm. election day 2016 and inauguration day 2017 were two days where i wow, just felt like there was no site traffic and nobody was purchasing for leisure and mm-hmm. it's just an interesting insight That a lot of our friends that work at other retailers and e-commerce stores shared with us. It was a very only buying the essentials type of days. That's That's interesting, and I I bet you the same could be said if you if we had this similar data for any sort of big, terrible like life events or or instances that happen.
1: (laughs) Right, that makes sense. That's that's interesting insight, though. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but it, it was never like, oh no, we're gonna go bankrupt because nobody's buying gifts this one day. It went back to normal the next day. But it was just an interesting insight.
1: Got it. So let's talk about bootstrapping. You, you, we mentioned early on that you've grown to uh, nearly a ten million dollar business with zero outside capital by bootstrapping. What did you feel like you all did the did right when it came to bootstrapping? What did you feel like you did right as a company that is, uh, with bootstrapping?
3: I think for us, and I think Jenny and Svina would agree with me, we just didn't spend money that didn't need to be spent. We didn't spend money on growth hacking. We were in an apartment for two years, two plus years. We negotiated pretty great real estate options when we did need to move out of the apartment. We've only hired when we absolutely needed to. And we just don't spend money on stupid things. Mm-hmm.
1: How do you, what's the filter today to determine if maybe it's different today now, now that there's a little more stability and more success with the business, but as you approach these problems, how do you determine if it's worth paying to solve the problem or not?
3: What's an example of a problem that you're referring to?
1: No, I'm just saying like, so you mentioned that hiring, for example, right? how do you know that it is like, Hey, this is a problem that we have that we need to hire for rather than just kind of, you know, do whatever you were doing before.
3: Oh yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for us it was like a conscious decision. I mean, I remember us being at a crossroads of like, do we hire a publicist or do we hire a sales development representative? And and it really it really was like quote unquote the, the biggest problem we had come to, the biggest fork in the road. We ended up just saying, you know what, we can make it work, let's hire both. I think they're both gonna bring the, the same amount of ROI and it's and it's time because we can't do both of those jobs anymore. We're focused on operations and and marketing and growth in other ways.
1: Got it. Now what about the opposite side where while you're going through this step of bootstrapping, what were some lessons that you've learned that you want to make sure other entrepreneurs learn about the bootstrapping process that maybe you learned the hard way?
3: Um, I mean, it it might feel sometimes like you're falling way behind all these other companies, but you have no idea what other what is going on under the veil of other companies. There could be companies that seem like every influencer on planet earth is talking about them. And it's like, they're so hyped up, but you have no idea what their sales are. You have no idea what their production supply chain is. You, have, They could be the worst vendor run warehouse in the world. You know, they could have horrible customer service. They could not be hitting their numbers. So it's really important not to compare yourself to others. And I think that it's okay to kind of swallow your pride in the beginning. I mean, yeah, we were younger, but in the first two and a half years, we were living in our apartment with an inventory based business that is bananas. (laughs) Like I look back at that, that is absolute bananas and a young dog. And like, just it's crazy. And all these people, you know, they want to have their store on Abbott Kinney and they want to have their pop-ups at the Grove and they want to, you know, have all this hyped stuff, but it's really a matter of like, no, is your business functioning? Is your customer being serviced in the best possible way? Are you
0: growing at the rate you want to grow at? Those are the things that really matter. And, and in that regard, that's, what we, that's exactly what we did. We just put our head down and we just worked, worked, worked. And we just put our blinders up and we just focused on what we were doing, what we could control, and that helped us grow our business.
1: Was there ever a point where you, you all looked at each other and like, okay, we we are successful now and now we, not that not that you would ever fully take the, the, the foot off the, the gas pedal, but now you can at least take a breather. Did you ever feel that way during this, this kind of rise up over the last five years?
3: I feel like a year ago is the first time we finally were able to kind of take a breath. But like, obviously the goal is to always be on the ascent and not to fall be complacent because complacency is the enemy of growth.
2: I think really it was also a matter of hiring people that were smarter than us and that, you know, we could delegate things to, I like that is kind of, that has helped us sort of realize like we can grow this business and, and really put put certain tasks in the hands of others as well and, and really entrust them. So that's been a shift for us probably over the past year and a half. And it's, it's been amazing because we really, everybody we've brought in just has brought so much enthusiasm, passion, their own ideas. And, um, we're really creating a culture where we're proud of, and we're all working towards the same vision.
0: And that just likes to be, to Sabina's point, you know, just, having more people, eliminating more of the bottlenecks that were just, everything was just falling on our shoulders. You know, we as founders still feel immense pressure for everything, no matter what, but it still helped to relieve some of that. And like Chelsea was saying, last summer was really the first time in four years that we kind of felt that we could breathe. We felt this shared responsibility. We all care so much. Um, the other thing too is last fall we actually were um, part of Forbes 30 Under 30 class of 2019. Um, so we're really excited about that. That was a huge milestone for us and something that we were working really aggressively towards.
1: That's amazing. That kind of that validation I think is gives you sometimes as entrepreneurs like we are so hard on ourselves because we want to keep pushing ourselves, but it's it's definitely very rewarding when you get that kind of validation from other people saying that you guys are doing an amazing jobs, so that that's definitely uh, a great testament to where you guys have uh, grown the business to. So you mentioned that putting people into place, hiring people that are smarter than you, and putting them into place allows you to kind of focus elsewhere, and focus maybe more on bigger picture growth. So how big is the team today?
0: We have 25 employees today. So we will scale up during the holidays, but um, our current team right now is 25 people.
1: Got it. Where do you like to go to, to hire employees?
0: I mean, in the
3: beginning, to be honest, it was friends of friends of friends and really trying to dip into our own network of trust. Now at this point, I mean, we leverage different communities, um, to kind of get the word out. We've used create cultivate. We use indeed. We use LinkedIn. Um, but, uh, open positions are always listed on our website and on our careers page. And we welcome any and all resumes at all time. Mm
1: -hmm. How do you onboard employees once they, they join the company?
0: Uh, We have a little employee handbook. We do a tour um, around Starbucks Mm -hmm. and um, we're, we're very family oriented here. We're very welcoming. And so we um, will do lots of little fun, little Things like that, mm-hmm. and
2: we have a standardized training process. Depending on whether we're hiring somebody for fulfillment or production, marketing, sales, um, each team has kind of a, a standardized process, which um, you know we've we've perfected over the years. What well,
1: What do you think has been the hardest role to hire for so far?
2: It's a great question. Um, I I think I mean so we're currently hiring salespeople. Um, it, that's been, that's been challenging, not that we don't have kind of great applicants. I think it's just trying to figure out that balance of people with experience and then also people with passion for the company and the product, what we do, um, really trying to find, find a good culture fit, uh, has been, has been interesting. So maybe, maybe growing the sales team has been, um, kind of the biggest, the biggest challenge and opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you mentioned that one of the the drivers of sales and growth is with a weekly newsletter that you put out called the Foxtail. So what what uh, what do you can you share? What goes into that newsletter?
3: Yeah, I mean it's kind of a a curation of content from our blog um, that highlights you know everything from curation, inspo, behind the scenes, big updates here in terms of new collections or events we attended or philanthropic things our employees are doing. Um, and we just, we send out the Foxtone newsletter, we made a commitment in the beginning to send an update to our customers every single Friday till the end of time, just as like an anchored touch point. We obviously do other email marketing and merchandising emails, but that's the one every week that's really from us, from the heart and, and meant to give kind of an inside look at what we're up to here at BoxFox.
2: And it really has built a sense of community. Um, we really get so much positive feedback from our customers um, just on, you know, they love to kind of be kept in the loop of what's going on behind the scenes, as well as what the inspiration behind different curations and products. Um, we really try to bring kind of that extra level of, of um, you know, just insight and knowledge to our customers. And it's really kept them sort of plugged into the brand.
1: Mm, I guess this this probably also helps with the the goal of getting more repeat buyers and higher retention rates by staying in contact communication with your customers. And you mentioned earlier that the loyalty program is something that you're launching to also help with this. Can you explain more about how the program works?
3: Yeah, so we really just wanted something that was simple, luxurious, effective, and kind of gave... Um, Cash and rewards back to our most loyal customers, enable them to gift themselves, not just the others that they're gifting constantly, and um, an opportunity uh, to kind of channel any and all feedback they have directly to our team. There's going to be an aspect that will be kind of a direct line of communication from our best and most loyal customers, and we're really excited about that.
1: Awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the site, the, the online store. So you mentioned earlier that you hired a developer for the Build a Box Fox platform. What about the rest of the site? Was that done also with a developer or did you use a theme? Talk to us about how you created the site.
3: Um, in the beginning, we were really simple. We wanted to have the most simple, clean, product-focused site when we launched. And we actually have a good friend who designed it at the kitchen table with us over the course of like six months. And then about two years in, we wanted to kind of take our insights and upgrade it. And so we worked with a front-end developer, but really most of the design work comes from the three of us and very detailed wireframes and very hands-on feedback. Um, and so now um, we work closely, our developer from the, who built Build-A-Box box with us, is our kind of on retainer developer, James Ert from Above Market. He's a Shopify expert, and he's wonderful. Um, and he kind of helps us with absolutely everything at this point.
1: You mentioned that you want a product-focused site. Why was this important?
3: I just feel like, or we all just feel like, e-commerce is overwhelming. You go on websites, and they're just buggy, and people don't think about them necessarily the same way. They do when you walk into a brick and mortar and it's merchandised so perfectly and cleanly and color coordinated and that drives purchases. And so the same level of attention to detail and cleanliness and minimalism needs to be applied to your website. Your website is your digital store. I know it sounds obvious, but just a reminder <laughs> to all the people out there. And I mean, you see companies like Nordstrom, even over the last five years, who have tried so hard to streamline and simplify the huge amounts of inventory and marketing that they offer on their website. And it's all about simplicity. People want to know with their UX, they're getting there, they're clicking on what they need, they're being driven to where they need to go. And so we just try to simplify, simplify, simplify the same with your writing, you should always be editing your writing, we edit our design.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you mentioned that the from the very first design, you you had insights that you were able to take and integrate into a, into redesigning the site. What were some things that you learned during the f- first few years that you wanted to make sure you implemented into the new design?
2: I think one is thinking about what kind of brand story we wanted to tell through the website. So we thought a lot about how we can have our color palette, you know, through the the. Colors of the website, our fonts, kind of did a little bit of a brand refresh um, before, you know, even implementing it onto the website. Um, And then also just messaging, like what are the points we really want to hit? How do we want to communicate our service and sort of our value prop very quickly and concisely as soon as you get on the website? Um, Chelsea spoke a little bit to merchandising. How do we want to merchandise? Given that we, you know, can hit so many different types of occasions and verticals, um, we, we tried to keep things as clear and simple as possible while still offering um, all of, you know, everything that, that we wanted to. So I guess the biggest insights were telling the right brand story, merchandising in a clear way and just having, you know, the best kind of cleanest UX possible
1: yeah I like you hear hear how it says like right right beneath the fold, it's about how it works. It says, need a gift, keep a person, we'll handle the rest. I think that clearly kind of highlights the value that you're providing. How did you know that that was the kind of things that you needed to mention when you came to explaining how this all works?
2: I think you know as as e commerce shoppers ourselves, avid <laughs> online shoppers, um we had just seen so many websites that had Not done this well, honestly. You know, you go on a website, there's a vague photo of, you know, somebody holding a flower and you're not quite sure what the website is selling or why they exist. And you have to do your own digging as a customer. I think we had also seen websites that clearly explain the value prop very quickly. And I think what's really interesting about our company is we are a products company, but really we're offering a service. So the service is going to exist. Uh, you know, regardless of what products are going to be behind it. And I think anytime you're a service-based company, you really have to hit people with the value prop right away. So that was just kind of an insight we had, um, early on. And, and I think people have responded really well to it. We actually, you know, took a really long time to think about the language we were using on that little box below the fold, because again, you're really explaining the entire company in in a short little blurb. So it's worked well
1: for us i think does the value prop come from inside the company or did your customers tell you like how do you if someone's someone out there is thinking i, I don't have i want to be able to to kind of concentrate all of my value prop down into something i put on my site where do they begin to look do they look inside themselves inside the company or do they look out to customers for the information
2: I think it can be, it can be a combination. I mean, definitely coming up with why, you know, why your, your reason for being and, and kind of like what you offer is really important, but then having customers react is, is always a good thing. I mean, there's ways to kind of survey them or ways to get some, some reaction. I think ours was an organic kind of combination of both because we had already launched, um, and we revamped the site. So there was an opportunity opportunity to kind of uh, think about what questions we were getting from customers and and what might not have been as clear um, on kind of the first version of our site for that 2.0 version.
1: Got it. Are there any apps that you use uh, on the site, either on the site that are Shopify apps or outside the site that you rely on to run the business?
3: We have a couple different apps. I'll speak to the first one. Build a Box Box is an app that we design that we use privately and is not available to the public. And we design from scratch. And that's, you know, essentially our own custom proprietary algorithm, sizing algorithm driven um,
0: bundling type app. And then um, there's a few others. We're really excited. Um, before this holiday season last year, we introduced Afterpay to help our customers um, split payments into four p- four parts. We were really excited about that. That was launched in tandem with another app called, called Gift Ship, which would allow our customers to ship gifts to multiple addresses. And we, up until then, hadn't found a solution that would allow um, the multiple addresses and also still... Um, to be compatible with different sales taxes in different states, um, so that was huge because that would all of a sudden allow all of our customers to send two or three or eight different gifts mm. all mm. in one single order. Do
1: all their shopping one one at one time?
0: Exactly, and it was it's a really simple solution for us on the back end in Shopify in the order queue as well. So those two things were monumental for us going into the holiday season. Um, we use Avalara for sales tax. Um, we use Inexpress for international shipping. Um, international shipping was something that we definitely wanted to go after. And to this day now, we've shipped to over 40 countries. Um, but it was kind of a challenge. We've used Shippo, We used Yakit. We used all these different uh, apps and for whatever reason, they just weren't working perfectly. And so for now, we're very happy with Inexpress.
1: Awesome. So thank you so much, Sabina Chelsea, and Jennings. Shopboxbox.com is the website. For each of you, what do you think needs to happen this year for you to consider 2019 to be a success?
2: That's a great question. I mean, I think for me personally, this is Sabina. Um Just kind of growing our B2B business and really hiring an awesome sales team that we feel really, really good about, or I should say expanding our current existing awesome sales team um, and servicing our corporate clients. I mean, that's that's a lot of my focus. And um, I'm excited to kind of see that side of the business grow.
3: Yeah. And I think that, you know, the three of us, I won't go into the very private details of what the three of us put on a kind of goal manifestation list at the end of 2018. But, you know, we have a list of 10 things that we want to achieve by our fifth birthday, which is November 7th, which is basically the end of the year. Um, And if we are able to hit all of those, I would consider this to be a really successful year. And we're really well on track for that. So.
0: And honestly, it's just about, you know, sending more boxes to more people. And all of a sudden, that many more people know about us. They're using our service. And that's what we care about. We care about helping our customers be there when they can actually be there for all life's different occasions.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience.
0: Thank you for having us. This was awesome. Really appreciate
2: speaking with you today.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com masters.